Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Rondike. Today I'm joined with Jonathan Malm, an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and creator of all things he does. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. First of all, thanks so much for joining today. If this is your first time, I appreciate you tuning in and hope that you enjoy this episode. If you're a longtime listener, if you've tuned in before, thank you for your continued support. It means means so much. If you have not done so already, I greatly appreciate if you leave a review wherever you are finding this podcast right now. You can stop, press pause, leave a review, and then come back. Um, Thank you so much again. Uh, this support really helps and it means a lot for the continued development of this podcast. Today's conversation is with Jonathan Malm, who's an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and creator of all things he does. I'm excited for this episode uh, because we dive a bit more into his latest book, The Comeback Effect, How Hospitality Can Compel Your Church Guests to Return. So Jonathan has spent a lot of his time in church. We go back into his uh, early faith story in childhood. He says, uh, there hasn't been a moment when I haven't been in church. I've always been in church. Um, Being from Texas and then moving over to Guatemala um, with his father being a missionary, uh, he's he's seen the world uh, through different lenses. Um, I really do enjoy this episode uh, for uh, his, his latest discovery, and uh, I really think is um, is important for us to, to note uh, whether you're in church leadership uh, or part of a gr- leader of a group or um, are just involved in your faith. I think it's quite important that we think about how we are hospitable uh, to those who come to us, to those those who are seeking uh, something beyond themselves, that we can be as welcoming. Um, that we can be uh, thought-provoking, uh, and that we can really be a resource and someone that they'll come back to in the future. Um, being comfortable is important for the for this experience. Uh, Jonathan sh- shares some biblical scriptures highlighting uh, what this means in the text, um, but then also how how can we take the walls and barriers down so that God can speak to His guests through others. Jonathan has always been involved in creative lens, creative world, um, whether it's stage design, uh, other design through web graphics, marketing materials, um, and using these passions to to continue to seek more. Uh, he's been an advocate of finding the hidden option, so something that isn't always known or hasn't been done before. Um, but I'm excited for this episode and hope that you enjoy this conversation. Uh, there, this is a little bit, but there's a lot more to come with that. So let's turn on over to the conversation with Jonathan. To get things kicked off, I uh, j- just want to open up and, and discuss a bit more about your la- latest book, uh, Congratulations, which is coming out on July 31st, The Comeback Eff- Effect. Um, I just want to hear a bit more about uh, what you've been seeing with the with the local church. Um, I know this speaks on church leadership and, um, and how to attract and, and hospitality and, and bringing people back into church, uh, but I, I just want to kind of go back and, and see w- and hear from you what you've been seeing with the local church um, and the catalyze, catalyzing factors that really led to you to, to start writing this book with, uh, with Jason. Yeah, so I mean, I, I have uh, worked at a church for, for quite a while mm. before I was, you know, 
free time, full time doing my own thing, but and I'm still working with the church now. But, um, you know, I worked on staff at the church. I've worked with many churches and I don't know of a single church that doesn't want guests to come back. Like mm. everyone wants to get to all these guests that are coming in, these first time guests that are coming in, they're trying to figure out how to get them to come back for another weekend. Uh, but at the same time, there's this disconnect. Like, we want them to come back, yet they don't come back. So what's that all about? And my friend Jason and I, who we've worked on a few projects together, we we got together, and he had this simple chart that he uses to train his um, his guest services volunteers at North Point Ministries, where he, where he works. And I was like, man, this would be a phenomenal tool to turn into a bit more of a fleshy book, if you will, mm-hmm. and uh, and help people really create an experience that actually makes guests want to come back. Wow, awesome. Um, so, so, so this is something, uh, you know, obviously I've seen a lot more of, um, I think of churches that are starting to, to put a focus on, you know, bringing people back in the door. So is there is there a lot of stats or that are that are showing or that that churches maybe as it stands right now aren't doing a great job of of bringing people back into the door you have you seen in your you know through your time examples of maybe even yourself looking at uh, having self-awareness and seeing times when maybe you weren't doing a really great job welcoming or um or being open to to people uh, not only on the first encounter but making sure that they are enjoying and are feeling welcome for the second third and fourth encounter and ultimately you know leading them to become to become members of the church yeah i mean i, I think the big thing that that we're all guilty of is that we think if we do all of the right things that we're going to create the experience that guests want to come back to. And it it basically kind of turns into a, a checklist, if you will. Like if we have a parking lot team, if we have greeters, if we have an email that goes out from the pastor on Sunday and a letter that goes out on Tuesday and look, we have all of these things and, and that's not really like, what is going to get a guest to come back? There's this there's this thing that happens whenever you go visit a church for the first time, where you're, you're trying to see like, are these people like me? Can I plant myself here? Do they want me to be here? There's all of these intangible feelings, really, mm. that are associated with visiting a, a, a guest. I mean, a church for the first time. And whenever we focus so much on the task, so often we forget to focus on the feelings. So we don't actually create a welcoming experience, even though we might have checked off all of the boxes that quote unquote say it's going to be a welcoming church. Mm, absolutely. Um, so kind of lo- looking at how this applies to, to really Jesus's mission and, um, and, and the work that he did bringing people and focusing on, on, on hospitality, getting people indoors first, or kind of how do you, do you parallel and how do you see the importance of, of, of doing of doing this work and really carrying out Jesus' mission. Yeah, I mean, you, you see a great example uh, in the house of Mary and Martha, two sisters. Mm. Uh, one sister was just hanging out with Jesus, listening to him. They were just talking to each other, and the other sister was focused on preparing a meal, focused on basically doing all of the things you're supposed to do whenever you have a guest at your house. She wanted to be the perfect hostess, and. Mm. She wanted to complain to Jesus that, hey, why is my sister just hanging out with you while I'm doing all the work? And Jesus said, she's doing the more important things. She's spending time with me. And that's really what we're, what we're trying to paint the picture for with churches whenever it comes to guests is, man, spend the time with them. Like, mm. sometimes the, the task is not as important as just the time and the attention and the focus and the feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you're, you know, if we're, if we're an individual looking kind of at the, the self and the self's 
responsibility and uh, ownership, uh, but also an opportunity um, for the individual to act and engage in this in a you know in a, in a manner that's going to really kind of spark this comeback effect. A comeback effect. You know, how, how do we how do we go about doing this? If you're recommending or you know advising someone like myself, somebody you know that is that wants to to to, to spread the good news into the church, but also maybe outside of the church too. Um, yeah. What would what would you say? Yeah, I mean, you know, we frame this for for volunteers, but I think it applies to more than just volunteers. Why the people mm. who are the quote unquote welcome team, right? Mm. Uh, really, a big a big chapter that we talk about is the idea of being fully present, mm. and what that means is just not worrying about um, what's going on on your cell phone, not worrying about the different tasks you need to do. So, for a volunteer, we suggest, hey, you know. Obviously, you have tasks that you need to accomplish on Sunday morning. So the, the way you do that is you show up early, you get all the tasks taken care of, and then when the guest is there, you can just fully devote all of your attention on them. So what that means is you start understanding, man, at this moment, they're feeling anxiety walking through the door of our church. Like, they don't know what to expect. They've had maybe bad experiences with church in the past. They're worried about if their kids are going to be safe in the kids' ministry, and you could you can pick up on all of those little emotional negative feelings that they're having and you can address those. You can, you can do what you can to ease those. We, we, we talk about in the book, it's almost like you become a bodyguard for the guests. Mm. You become a, a bodyguard for their emotion, which you have that picture of, uh, you know, a bullet being shot, you know, the shot ringing out and then the, 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 the film goes slow motion and the bodyguard jumps in front of the bullet for his, the person he's protecting and takes the bullet for them so they don't have to. And that's really what we're, what we're talking about is the idea of taking the negative emotions on ourselves. So, you know, we do the hard work of figuring out what the guest needs. We do the hard work of maybe if there's an uncomfortable situation, we don't make the guest experience that. And then we really guard their feelings. And what that, what that does is it allows, it allows those negative feelings, which often create barriers and create walls for people, it allows them to take those walls down, so then God can really speak to them in the service, or God also can speak to them through what we say, through what God would, would speak through us. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so I want to kind of speak a bit more and, and dive a bit more into your personal story and um, how you've come to the place where you are today, but but going back to, to hearing about your childhood, uh, I want to know what your childhood was like. Um, when did you discover and then lean in on your creative side? How did, how did faith become part of, part of the picture? Or was it always part of the picture for you? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, I w- I've been in the church for as long as I can remember. And my, <laughs> yeah. my, uh, my mom and dad met at a church in Corpus Christi, Texas, uh, where my, my mother's parents were founding members and, and my dad was in the military and then he came on staff at the church. And then, uh, when I was about two, they were called to plant a church in Kerrville, Texas, a really small town, actually outside of, like Kerrville's a small town, but outside of Kerrville's really small, which is where we were. And we planted a church there uh, with about, I think we never reached over 100 at all. And we were, you know, had very poor area. Uh, so we were doing that. And then when I was six, we moved as missionaries to Guatemala, mm-hmm. uh, the Central American country of Guatemala, which was kind of nuts at the time because they were in the middle of a decade-long civil war and, you know, people were being abducted and there were human rights violations and guerrilla warfare up in the mountains. So we moved there and uh, I was able to see part of what my dad was doing to take teams to, you know, feeding centers and orphanages and 
all sorts of different areas. Uh, and so, yeah, so that's where I, I started seeing, you know, the church. I started seeing ministry. I started seeing the value of what ministry is all about. Um, but then it wasn't until we moved back to the U.S. My dad founded a missions agency, and but then we started working at a church. Uh, he was called again to actually pass to the church that my mother and he met at, uh, and he the church had gone through a massive church split, tons of debt, uh, a lawsuit pending, all sorts of messiness, and that's where I started getting involved in ministry alongside my dad, and that started with you know duplicating the sermons, and then. I had already had some experience designing websites, so I did some websites, graphic design. I just really got my feet wet in all of the sort of creative aspects of church and got excited about that. Mm. That's awesome. So, so you're really your, I guess, creative gene or in, you know, when you first got in, because I know obviously not where you are now, and we'll get to this um, you, you, you're now doing a lot of work, uh, or you know, have diff- different websites that you manage and different businesses that you've started um, that work on you know designing uh, r- really great uh, graphics and media p- media promotions for for the church, but then also stage design too. And so a lot of it sounds like the you know stage design and and, and this really formulated kind of within the church walls. Is, is that pretty accurate? Oh yeah. So you know, part of the part of the process of you know, as I as I got as I graduated college, and then I worked full time at the church. Yeah. Um, one of the big big things we were trying to do is, you know, the church had been around for fifty years, and everyone in the community knew about the church, right? Like, but they knew about the church from one pastor, and there were probably ten pastors in the last the last fifty years, and so it was a totally different church. Like, so we were in this process of rebranding, of uh, repositioning ourselves in the minds of the community, and part of that was updating our interior. It was. A, a building built in the 70s it was really beautiful, but it just didn't reflect the type of church that we were we were having, the type of music, the type of message. Um, it was a very traditional building, but we were not a traditional church. So I didn't really know that stage design was a thing at the time, but I had this idea to you know make these little panels and throw some LED lighting on them. And, and so I did it, and I blogged about that on a personal blog I ran, and I just noticed that there were a ton of churches that were curious about that, and they were finding that were apparently searching for stage design information. So mm. I just thought it'd be a fun experiment to research publicly about stage design, see what other churches were doing, look for best practices, find mm. articles on how to use different elements of stage design, and, and put that together, and the site just just went crazy. Uh, I was able to reach all these people that I didn't even know existed, and this community joined around this idea of stage design, and from there, I started a few other sites that were just all about the creative process because I just I love the holistic approach to church. You know, like I'm I'm not I'm not necessarily a stage design nerd. I'm not necessarily a graphic web nerd. Any of those things. Mm-hmm. I just love being effective. Whatever we can do to be effective at our church, that's what I love. Mm. Absolutely. So that so it's not, so that was, was that in 2008 then that you really started creating and blogging about your experience. What what was the yeah. What was the 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 scene like for uh, for the you know I think recently seeing a lot of churches you know namely the the ones that have that have really been on the headlines the Hillsong the Bethel the ones that have gotten so massive but have really leaned into these to these creative elements and um, and really expressing uh, expressing how they can reach people how they can be in the in the marketplace effectively. Um, within the last few years, I'm wondering what was that, what was the trend like kind of at a bigger landscape in, in 2008 when you first started doing this, where people 
was, you know, was it the early stages or what did it look like? Yeah, I mean, I, in 2008, it was really, I think, it was around the height, you know, the, the, the big height of the megachurch movement, which mm. really what the megachurch movement was, and I, this is this might get way too philosophical for you to stop <laughs> me if it is, but um, the, the megachurch movement was really uh, the idea of people had this opinion of what church was about, and it the church didn't have to be about that. So it became about, you know, creating a visual spectacle sometimes it created about it was about creating an amazing worship experience a message that was just relevant stuff that you wouldn't hear anywhere else and that was that was part of stage design was part of that was just challenging people's perceptions of what church could be so by creating something on the stage you were able to capture people's imaginations and and show them hey this isn't what you were expecting church to be so listen up maybe you're going to experience something different here and so that was what um that was what was really going on. But I, I really actually just recently, and I'm sure I'm not the only person who's don't, has noticed this, but there's this shift in mm. the church where it's no longer, uh, it's no, it no longer needs to be about creating the best worship experience and the best message and the, the best, you know, stage design, the best visuals, because really YouTube, you know, the, the rise of YouTube, I can find a great worship set at the click of a button. I can find some of the most phenomenal preaching online easily just by tapping on my cell phone. So mm. there's this new shift of really creating an experience that you can't get anywhere else. And that's where I see the church is moving a lot. And sometimes stage design is still part of that, where they, it's still creating an atmosphere that people are walking into. Um, but there's also other ways that churches are doing it. Some churches, I think, are actually moving more towards energy, toward the whole traditional um, old school Christianity because that's something you don't get anywhere else. You don't mm. really get that experience on YouTube, that sacred moment. Um, so there are all sorts of different ways the churches are doing that, and that's where I see sort of the stage design is still part of that, it's still still an aspect of that, mm. but it's not probably as, as massive of a driving force as it was maybe even 10 years ago. Mm. Wow, so, so yeah, that, that was something I was going to touch on too. It's, it sounds like kind of your you know what you're seeing in in your opinion that the church is moving yeah toward maybe a, a greater shift back toward a liturgical type worship um do you see do you also see so that's kind of kind of going back to creating these sacred these sacred elements and sacred spaces um do you see any other movements uh or really maybe innovations and in, in making the church either a more, more, more approachable, more welcome, uh, more welcoming, or be you know more creative, or, or maybe a combination of the two. Yeah, I think I think a big element of creativity that we often overlook is the idea that creativity is not just about art. Hmm. Um, so we, so often it's easy to think you know think oh, okay I'm not an artist I'm not a painter I'm not a I'm not a, a chef I'm not a singer so I must not be creative but really. Creativity is about seeing things in a unique way. It's it's, it's finding a, a solution to a problem. Or, or in one book, I talk about it, finding the hidden option. When it appears, there are only two options. You find the hidden option, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so really, it's about seeing things a unique way and seeing what, first of all, our communities are needing and then providing that in a unique way that uh, no one else is providing it. So, yeah, I mean, liturgy is one of those. I, I, 
wouldn't say that's probably the predominant movement. Mm. Uh, but then there's this other movement more toward creating almost a party on Sunday morning, not in the, not in the worldly sense of it, but creating this community element where you feel like you're a part of something bigger than yourself. You, you go in and you, it's just a celebration. You feel like you're celebrating alongside fellow believers. Mm. And that's really the church that I attend and serve with right now. That's, they're not the liturgical side. They're still probably the mega church model, if you will. But really, the feeling that is unique is that whole party vibe, hmm. where it's like, man, there's just a, there's just something to celebrate. And whenever I get together with with people at my church, I feel like we're we're doing something and we're enjoying each other and we're so yeah. There's there's this. I really feel like, and we talked about this a little bit in the comeback effect. There's this this movement toward the feeling over the function. Hmm where previously it was about, you know, making sure everything is perfect, all the, all the programming is perfect. And the programming, I believe, still needs to be there. But there's the feeling aspect, and there are many different ways to, to have that feeling on a Sunday morning. And, and I, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of touchy area whenever you talk about emotions too much in churches, depending on what your, you know, yep. background is. But, we, you know, we don't necessarily, we're not trying to manipulate emotions, but we're acknowledging that there is a feeling element of what we do and just being excellent with that. Hmm. No, yeah, well, I think it's so fascinating uh, in general. I think, um, right, when you create create something that ends up being any business or any idea that ends up being successful, looking at it kind of from a business perspective, it, it touches and it uh, further heightens on one of our, like one of our innate desires. And unfortunately, a lot of times I think it falls in our, the desires that are shortcomings, right? Falling into the, the the things that are that a lot of times are leading us away from God, or leading us into world, worldly desires that are not good, you know, for our soul. And it's interesting how um, we how this 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 side of it, the, the party atmosphere, has created again has created a this feeling touching on some of our desire. Yes, we have the innate desire to want to celebrate, to want to. To, to, to hang out and party with other people right but it's it's the, the and we're, we're able to play on those desires but ultimately find that we can we can shift it shift the intention so, towards something else but not not necessarily eliminating the desire I think it's interesting. yeah I mean I think I think one of the you know whenever you whenever you look at the Old Testament we we so often focus on the fact that God was like you know always pointing a finger at Israel and and saying, oh, you've sinned again, come on, guys, Like, which they were just a mess, right? Yeah. Uh, not unlike us, right? But mm-hmm. at the same time, if you notice the actual commanded festivals, there were so many more festivals and parties than there were fasts. Uh, the, the, the commandment was more often to celebrate and to be joyful. So I, mm. I, I believe that the church's opportunity is to find those needs that the world has been meeting incorrectly, and leaving people feeling empty and people feeling void and meeting them in the way, in a godly way, creating godly community or creating godly, this is going to sound horrible, but godly religion, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> we're like, yeah. you know, because we're going, we're going to be religious. Like, in, inevitably, as human beings, we want to find a system of living where we feel secure and we mm. feel like we know what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's automatically the, the the pull of human nature but but doing that in a godly way is something that is, is an opportunity so there are all these opportunities of, of of needs the world isn't properly meeting and meeting them through the church and you know some of that is with knowledge there is the, the understanding of god's perspective and god's wisdom and god's ways mm-hmm. but there's so many more things than just content based which content basically just message and, and worship there's so many elements that 
that we just aren't getting met, uh, needs that we aren't getting met in the world. Mm, absolutely. Um, so I want to touch a bit more on your personal, uh, I guess, creative process, but then also um, something that you know can hopefully be applicable for for you know pe- for people here today or listeners. Um, when you go about you know personally designing a template, template graphic, or or even you know stage a stage setup. Again, looking at the kind of the entire holistic approach. Um, what do you what you know? What do you think about when you're? What are some of the initial thoughts that you're thinking about? What what's important for you to consider uh, to make sure that this is the best piece of work that you can do? Yeah, I mean, my I, I have this sort of rebellious streak inside of me, where not in a bad way, but I don't want to do something that someone else has already done. Like, and part of this comes from I think one of the big things that I've been learning in my life is. I'm, I'm, I'm moving away from a scarcity mentality and a scarcity mentality would be, you know, for instance, that in, in oil, there's only so much oil in the world, right? Like underground, eventually we're going to run out of oil, right? So there's this economic principle that there's the scarcity of resources where in order for me to get something, that means someone else can't get something. Uh, but I don't believe that's God's economy. I believe God's economy is one of abundance, one of never ending resources. So what I'm always trying to do is I'm always trying to find a way to do something that someone else isn't doing because I believe when we're trying to copy each other, when we're trying to do the same things as someone else, it's, it's that that scarcity mentality. Instead of realizing, man, there there are whole fields, if you will, of, of untouched uh, produce that we can, we can tap into and just go over there. So if I see someone doing something immediately I'm not really into doing it that way but I always am like okay what is what's a way that no one else has tried maybe maybe people have tried and they failed before but maybe it'll work for me so I love trying things that I haven't seen others do and seeing if they'll work for me and, and I, you know probably half the time I think they do yeah yeah no uh, that's interesting kind of the, the operating out of the the law of the, the law of scarcity rather than the law of abundance um, mm-hmm. and it's interesting yeah I know I think we're it, shifting more into to being on the offense rather than being uh, being always in the defense or uh, looking to explain ourselves um i think which we, we can yeah. i think we can fall into sometimes um very interesting um i i just wanted to i guess you know uh again back kind of on your on your personal journey um something that you've learned uh that you've learned today that maybe you, uh, you know, have advice for, for yourself five, 10 years ago. Mm, that's a great question. Uh, something, some advice that I would give to myself. I, I think I would probably double down on the idea that, um, just because you haven't seen something done before doesn't mean it can't be done because you know what I do right now for a job, it's, quite difficult to explain to a hairdresser or to someone cutting my hair what I do for work mm-hmm. because I don't even know what I do sometimes. Like, <laughs> yeah. like right, right now, be, me being on a podcast with you, just talking for an hour, like this is 100% what I do. This is 100% my job. But it doesn't necessarily make any money. It doesn't make anything. There's no product that people can, you know, see. But, and I don't just do podcasts, but writing mm-hmm. and, and creating these websites where I don't actually even do the design. I have a, a partner who does, is, is a phenomenal graphic designer who does my designs for me and mm-hmm. church stage design ideas. I don't actually do the stage designs. I just post up what other people are doing. So I, what I do right now didn't probably exist eight years ago. 
10 years ago, at least for me. I'm, I'm sure other people are doing something similar in different industries, but realizing that, you know, there are whole ideas out there, businesses out there that there's no business plan for. There, there's no um, degree plan for. And so just because you haven't seen something done before doesn't mean that there's not a way to make money doing it or to, to, there's not an opportunity to do it. So, and this is what I tell everyone. It's just, you know, find what you love to do and then find something else that you love to do, what you feel really good at and see if there's a way to combine those two and make money from it. Mm. And I think there's totally a way to do that. Awesome. Um, no, and something on that too, which I was thinking about is the, the importance again of, of having intentionality, um, and, and again, being present in the moment too. And so I, I want to kind of touch on looking at the, the, you know, the, I think a lot of, a lot of what you've done and at least what I'm hearing and, uh, the work that you're doing is, uh, very, again, focused and intention on b- being, doing what you're called to do. And I, I want to hear kind of, and this kind of translates back into, back into the book as well on the the importance of an intentionality and really how it can help how it can help not only you but maybe the the the, the causes or the organizations that that you're that you're part of so the intentionality but then also the um, being positive and, and how you or how you can be in the best place so that you're not a burden to, to growth yeah I mean I think it it comes down to and you said that a little bit it's just positivity mm. is is mm. realizing that there is and uh, I'm starting, which we're actually talking about uh, one, another one of my books right now, that's what I'm really getting into, which I love it. But uh, so the, in this the book, The Hidden Option, um, I talk about the idea that there's always a, a hidden option whenever things, whenever we feel trapped. So you, you see the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery, where what happened is the religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus. They, they find this perfect opportune moment whenever he's teaching in front of a large crowd, and they parade this woman in front of them and say, oh, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. You know what the law is. The law is that we stone her. So what should we do? And they, they put this on Jesus. And really what that, what that was, they were setting up an impossible trap for him because either, one, he says, yeah, we stone her, which was against, well, against the Roman law. That's a more complicated topic. But really it seemed against what he was preaching, this idea of turning the other cheek, of mm-hmm. mercy, so it was that which would make him seem like a really brutal, horrible person. Or he would say, no, 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 just let her off. We can just let her go. We don't have to stone her. And then what that was is it was disobeying the law of God because that was the law at that time. Mm-hmm. So the religious leaders were setting up this trap for Jesus. And, you know, the story, Jesus bends down the sand and he starts writing. And and uh, for me, I imagine that was a stalling tactic because that's probably what I would do. I'd be like, oh, no, what am I going to do in this situation? <laughs> yeah. But eventually he stands up and he says, yes, this is the law, but you who's without sin cast the first stone. And it's a pretty mind-blowing response because it wasn't one of the two options they gave him. Mm. Yet he found a hidden option. And of course, we know the story where uh, one by one, they all dropped their rocks and they went away. Uh, So, I mean, the, the idea that there's always, God's creativity is always available to us. There's always a hidden option available to us because the world loves to trap us. It loves to, we love to get stuck in this fight or flight response where, you know, we either run away or we fight. That's our, our typical response, the biological response, right? But I always believe there's a hidden option. So recently I had a conflict at work where there was a, a website that was copying our website and, uh, you know, copying our graphics and same pricing model. And it just felt very like icky, like they were yep. just copying us. And mm-hmm. my default response was to just ignore it and just 
curl up in a ball and cry or to fight. And I was going to manipulate and say, okay, I'm going to get them shut down. I'm going to try to find a way to get everyone against them. Like these were my two responses. I'm not proud of it, but uh, fortunately I just published the book. And so I thought to myself, okay, what's the hidden option here? And I prayed and asked God, I'm like, God, I know that there's a hidden option here. There's something greater. There's something better available. And I just felt like the, the right choice, the hidden option for me was to approach him and actually help him become effective by helping him find his own unique niche that wasn't hmm. being touched. Hmm. Uh, and so I, I just, I always believe there's hidden options. And I think that's a, I think that's a, a critical component toward, for creativity is this just um, naive optimism, if you want, hmm. where we just, I, I know there's a solution here. I just have to keep finding it. Yeah, no, I think that's that's so interesting, um, and and not and I I think it's so it's so great because it's not only applicable for uh, in terms of you know of being creative and looking to what you know what whether we're looking to, to to set up a better or have a better graphic or even in that in that lens right or have a better stage design, but applying that to our lives again, and I, I like how we're able to apply that to. Um, and, and what you did right there too, looking at other businesses or, you know, someone else who was doing something quite similar and, you know, very, very, you know, the exact same, if not, uh, that, that you were doing. Um, but again, we're able to find, uh, that hidden option. So that's, that, that's really cool. Um, I, I just want to, to, to wrap up. I just wanted to hear, um, something, uh, on, on your heart that, that you think, uh, that you want to, that you want to cover, whether it's on the book um, your, you know, the work that you've been doing in your, your previous books, or just really anything—a word of encouragement uh, to, as we as we conclude. Yeah, man. Let's see. What would be something that would be on my heart that I want to share with people? Um. Yeah, I think the idea is that uh, I believe we're called to create innovative lives. Um. And for me, what that means is that, you know, there will always be, well, here, let me, let me put it this way. Uh, growing up, we always have this, like, what if mentality where like, okay, what if I did this? What if I did this? Like, we, we just grow up with optimism. Like, what if I was president? What if I started a business? What if I recorded a CD? What if I wrote a book? You know, there's all these optimistic moments in our lives. And what happens is eventually as we grow up, uh, just, man, things hit us. Life hits us. We experience disappointments. We experience setbacks. And so we start making this change away from what if, which is a very creative, uh, hopeful, optimistic approach to now, like, almost like a now what? Okay, man, now that this happened, what do I do? Like, what am I going to do? Like, obviously, my dream, my dream, my what if is gone. Mm-hmm. My dream is gone. So what am I going to do with this now? Now what? Hmm. And I believe that those now what moments are actually opportunities for innovation because we, whenever we have things that come against us, whenever we have limitations, whenever we have things that, uh, you know, experiences that other people don't, that, that we, it's easy to compare ourselves and be like, well, they obviously don't have this problem that they have, that we that I have, so they can do that. And so we, we get in this comparison mode instead of realizing, okay, maybe there are unique opportunities that are coming through these trials, or coming through these appointments, or coming through these, these things that have come against me, 
And I wish more people could start seeing the, the disappointments and the setbacks as actually God's direction in their life to live a life that no one else has ever lived before, to, to innovate in their life in a way no one else has innovated mm-hmm. in their life. So, you know, man, for instance, whenever my wife we, and I just got married, we were, she was in the middle of, of, of pre-med school. So like we had very little time to spend together. And mm-hmm. I could have, I could have said, oh, well, I don't have as much time to spend as my wife as, as most people do. And I could have, I could have been like, now what am I going to do? Like, my wife's not there for me, right? Which, that wasn't the case. But instead, I used this as an opportunity to start these side businesses. And I was working full-time at a church, but but the very fact that she was unavailable to me gave me an opportunity to be married and to start a business. And instead of of begrudging her and saying, you're not spending time with me, but to use that moment for an opportunity. And so now, you know, when she had time off from school, I was able to drop everything because I'm self-employed now, and I was able to go with her somewhere. So uh, that 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 negative thing that could have been a negative thing, and I could have complained about, I used it as an opportunity to create uncommon experiences that we have now. So I just want maybe I could leave that leave that with people: the idea that the negative things that come your way are actually opportunities in disguise. Hmm. Awesome. And and at the on the same notion, I think there too, it's. Um... Uh, being uh, just r- really going out and doing something. I think we, uh, mm-hmm. r- rather than getting caught in that thought of, yeah, getting caught in that thought of, oh, what if, what if, and then, and then when it ends up happening down the line, it's a now what, but rather going out and doing it, um, being, and being a, a bit more active and on the offense as well. Um, yeah, it's so easy to just go into escapism and, you know, yeah. well, my wife's not available for me, so I'm just going to, start watching movies or playing video games or, and there's nothing wrong with watching videos and movies and playing video games. But I'm saying it, we, we so often, you know, satiate our disappointment instead of using that disappointment as a catalyst for, uh, an opportunity. Mm. Wonderful. Um, well, Jonathan, thanks so much for, for spending some time with me today. And, um, was was very exciting and, and, and grateful to hear about uh, the comeback effect, a little bit of the hidden option in your other books, um, but also about your you know your childhood, your your background, and um, everything that uh, that you're doing now, and and how God's continuing to work in you as well. Yeah, it's been a blast. Thanks for having me.